0: Amen. Before we get to the sermon this morning, I want to address one thing. Um, you, probably, you may, if you've been up very close to me this morning, you know that this ear is in completely red, completely red. So I just want to tell you what happened, just to take away any distraction from that. Yesterday afternoon, Karen and I went to a football game. I had on long sleeve shirt, long pants, socks, and shoes, and a hat. And I still got sunburned. Ear, both ears were exposed. This one got it more than anything else. So it's red because it is on fire. So let me just uh, remove any doubt that you have. Yes, it hurts. It's on fire. Several years ago, uh, there was somebody that wrote a song. And it the name of the song was Everything That Won't Be There. And the the writer of the song was talking about they are looking forward to heaven. And some of the reasons they're looking forward to to heaven, of course, seeing Jesus face to face was at the top of the list. But some of the reasons that they were so going to be so happy about heaven was because of the things that won't be there. You know, there's not going to be any more back aches, tooth aches, leg aches, stomach aches. And I don't know, yes, amen, amen. Now, I don't know if sunburn was on the list or not, but it would be on my list. I have always just been one that would be eaten completely up by the sun. So I am looking forward to that day when there will be no more sunburn and no more other of those problems that we often experience here in our journey called life. This morning we are back in the sermon series from the book of 1 Peter. This is the eighth and final sermon in this particular sermon series. Now, as we always do, I want to just take a moment to remind you that this particular letter, it is a letter, it was written by Peter. He wrote it specifically to the Christians who were located in Asia Minor, particularly in the part of the world that we currently know as modern-day Turkey. He wrote it during a time of both political and social unrest, and he wrote it somewhere during the time period of A.D. 60 to A.D. 67. The other thing that I want us to be sure just to visit one more time before we look at our scripture—that this morning as we have journeyed through this book of 1 Peter as we have journeyed through the pages of 1 Peter it becomes easy to see that there is indeed a recurring theme that appears over and over and over again and it is this that believers should follow the example of Jesus Christ and they should do that by joyfully enduring persecution. We're going to be in chapter 5 this morning of First Peter, and we're going to be looking at all 14 verses. I hope you'll be following along in your Bibles this morning. If, if you don't have a Bible with you, it will be on the screen. But at this point, I want to ask you, as I almost always do, if you are physically able to stand, would you stand this morning as a, your way of honoring God's Word? again, 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Here's what God's Word tells us. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for bringing us to your house today. Father, I pray that now your hand will be upon me. Father, I pray that your anointing, will be on me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Father, as we look at this text, may I preach it correctly, accurately, completely. Father, I pray that it will point to you and to the cross throughout the message this morning. Father, I pray especially that you will... Just have your hand upon us this morning. Father, I pray that if there is anyone here this morning that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, may this be the day that we leave this place rejoicing because we have seen salvation in this place. Father, for the things that you will do will give you praise, honor, and glory for it all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the title of this morning's message is walking in humility. Walking in humility. Remember, we have seen throughout this sermon series that if we are truly in Christ, then we indeed have a living hope. We've also taken a look at God's Word that tells us that we are to be submissive. To this point, we have seen that submission is required to authorities and also in the marriage relationship unless we are being asked to do something that would contradict God's word. Most recently, we have seen that true Christians will indeed suffer for the sake of righteousness. Now today, we're going to see one more thing that this amazing grace from God requires, and that is service to God. We're going to see this morning how we are to serve all of the time, but especially during those times when it's difficult. Now as we begin to take a look at our text for this morning, the first thing we're going to see in verses 1 through 4 is that pastors or elders, they must be an example of Christ's likeness all of the time, but especially in difficult times. Now, as our text begins this morning, I want to just take a moment and address this word elders, because sometimes that confuses people. I want to be sure that we all understand who God's word is pointing to when elders are used, especially in churches that do not use an elder-led model. Sometimes people think, well, that must be, must be referring to deacons, and it's, it's not referring to deacons. There is definitely the office of deacon, and it is very important, and you'll find in scripture the requirements for people who serve as deacons. But elders, the office of elder is another position that scripture clearly identifies in this this morning when we look at that I want to be sure that you realize that if we were looking in the Greek language right now the term for elder actually refers to officials within the church who pastorally led or lead the congregation so that is what we are referring to this morning anytime that we see the word elder now Peter identifies himself here in verse number one as a fellow elder and also as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And I want to stop there for just a moment. If you are one of the adults who are with us on Wednesday nights here in the sanctuary, you know that we are going through the book of John right now. And I asked the question many times through this uh, studying the book of John. I asked this question and I think it's helpful for us this morning. And that question is in our text that we are looking at right now, are we before the cross? Are we at the cross or are we past the cross? Now I think it's important that we ask ourselves that question any time, especially that we are reading through the New Testament. Is the Scripture that we are looking at right now, verse 1, is it before the cross, is it at the cross, or is it past the cross? And the answer to that, it's past the cross. At this point, Peter's eyes have seen Jesus crucified. He has seen Jesus him crucified. And so with that, can you imagine, doesn't it give you a different meaning when he says he is a witness of the sufferings of Christ? He sure was. He was a witness of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And so many times when we think of Peter, our minds immediately go to the fact that Jesus, that Peter betrayed Jesus, even though he said he would never betray Jesus, not even if everybody else did. He would never betray Jesus, and we know that he went on to do exactly that. He, he denied Jesus, not once, but three times. And I want you to hear this morning that Peter was an elder. He was a spiritual leader who had sinned. He had repented, and the great news is that he had been restored. And let me tell you, if you are following Jesus this morning... That's exactly what can happen to you if there is sin in your life. You can repent. You can, you can be restored. And that is wonderful news this morning. That happens through the grace of God. And then as Peter is talking about himself, as a result of him um, being restored He is going to be a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, in verse 2, Peter encourages the elders to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, but not under compulsion. Shepherds are to serve willingly, not because they feel like they have to. They are to serve willingly, and they are to never act under compulsion. They're not to domineer over those people in their charge, but instead they are to be examples to the flock. Examples to the flock. And I'm telling you, God's Word supports that if pastors, if elders shepherd in that form, then when the chief shepherd appears, verse 4 they will receive the unfading crown of glory, that crown that will never, ever pass away. What a day that will be. Now, as we look at our next section of verses, verses 5 through 7, we're going to see from this text how our relationships should look. We're going to see that Scripture identifies some responsibilities for those people within the congregation who are being led. No, verse 5 Likewise, you who are younger. Now, when this phrase is used right here, it is not necessarily meaning those who are physically younger in age, it is really referring to anyone who is not a pastor, anyone who is not an elder. The pastors have the responsibility of shepherding the flock, but the flock has responsibility too to be subject to the elders. Again, it's just like with submission, as long as the flock is not being asked to do anything who would, that would contradict the Word of God. And I want to be sure that you realize that this text that we're looking at, it's part of God's Word. It is part of God's Word. It is simply not an option as to whether or not we want to follow that. It's what God's Word says that we are to do as a congregation. And I want to be sure that you understand this morning, if you have a problem with that, your problem is not with me. Your problem is with God's Word. And that's a big problem. That is a big problem. We must be willing to follow God's Word. Now, we have seen how pastors are to lead. Now, let's look at the responsibilities of the flock. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let me tell you, it is a horrible thing to be opposed by God. And we see how what we can do to not be opposed by God. We have got to be humble. Our lives have got to demonstrate humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Church, humility is the expectation. Humility is the expectation from God's word on how we are to treat each other. Verse 6, humble yourselves therefore therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Isn't verse 7 a beautiful, beautiful verse? Cast all your anxieties, not part of them, all your anxieties on Him, Cast them on Him because He cares for you. Now here not too terribly long ago, I, I talked a little bit about emotions, about, especially about anxiety one Sunday morning. And since this appears again in our text this morning, I want to talk just a little bit more about anxiety. I want to tell you, over the last three years, since I've been working on my doctorate, I've spent a lot of time analyzing emotions and people's responses to emotions. Now, please underhear me when I say this. Not all the time. What I'm saying is not the case 100% of the time. But it is the case in a lot of the instances. A lot of times when we experience anxiety is because we feel like something is out of our control. Maybe you're a student and you are putting in the time you're going to class. You are studying hours a day. But you might be at the point where you feel like, I could study 24 hours a day and I'm still not going to pass that test. You feel like it's out of your control and it causes feelings of anxiety to appear within our lives. Or maybe you're in a situation at work where you are working for a supervisor that's just difficult, difficult to please. And you feel like, it doesn't matter what I do, I am never going to please that supervisor. And as a, as a result, feelings of anxiety can creep in. They can take over our lives. And let me tell you something. Anxiety can paralyze you. It can absolutely paralyze you. But I want to share some good news with you this morning. Although there are things that are truly out of our control, there is absolutely nothing that's out of the reach of Jesus Christ. Absolutely nothing is out of His control. Everything instead is under His control. I want you to think about it like this. If everything were always under our control, where would faith, in Jesus Christ, play into the picture. If everything was always under our control, where where exactly would faith come in? Where exactly would trust in Jesus Christ come into the equation? Remember, there is nothing that is outside the control of Jesus Christ. Will we trust Him? Will we trust Him? Will we experience Him strengthening our faith? Will we, as a church, will we cast all of our anxieties on Him? Let me tell you, He is sufficient. He is sufficient. The good news is that He cares for you. He cares for me. And you might be wondering, how much does He care for me? All we have to do is look at the cross. He cared for us that much that He was willing to give His life on that old rugged cross. So will we surrender everything to him? Will we cast all our anxieties on him or will we continue to try to manage some things by ourselves? Now, as we look at verses 8 through 11, we're going to see that Christians must resist Satan, but we are to be alert and we are to stand firm in the faith. Now, for just a moment, I, I want every eye to look up here for just a minute. Toward me. And I'm getting ready to t- a share a quote with you that is profound, and I have found it to be so true. C.S. Lewis said that when people talk about Satan, they typically do one of two things. Again, all eyes up here. All eyes up here, please. Thank you. When people talk about Satan, they typically do one of two things. They either joke about him, they either joke about him, or they ignore him. They either joke about Satan, or they ignore him. Can I tell you this morning, both are dangerous. Both are dangerous. Satan is very real. Satan is very real. We've got to be alert. We've got to stand firm in the faith. Peter tells us to be sober-minded, to be watchful. You see, we've got an adversary. And let me tell you, his name is Satan. His name is Satan. And what he does, he prowls around continually. He is looking for someone to devour he is looking for that. Don't let it be you, church. Do not let it be you. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Realize that Satan is battling against us. Resist him. Be firm in your faith, knowing that, that, you're, that the same type of suffering is being experienced throughout the world by your brothers and sisters in Christ. Satan will use everything in your life that he possibly can to destroy you. Resist him. Be sober-minded. Know that he is up to no good. Do not let Satan's tactics catch you by surprise. We've got to expect that. Satan attacks Christians. He attacks churches. He wants to destroy unity within the church. Don't think for a moment that he doesn't want to do that. He will use anything and everything that he possibly can. But here church is the good news. Never forget who wins. Never forget who wins. We have got the privilege of holding this book in our hands. We can read the pages of this book. And as a result of that, if we will read this book, if we will follow this, we know who wins in the end. And His name is Jesus. It is not Satan. I wonder, do you know Him today? Do you know Him today? A few weeks ago, we were talking, I showed you a verse from Matthew where Jesus was talking about two gates. He talked about the wide gate, the one that's easy to enter, the one whose way is easy, but the path leads to hell. And he talked about a narrow gate that is difficult. It's hard to find. And Jesus says, few find it. Few find it. But for the few who do, their their eternity is going to be spent with Jesus in heaven. I wonder this morning, which gate have you entered? It's one or the other. It's one or the other. Again, we know that God is greater. We know that Christ is victorious over Satan. But we need to act like it. We need to act like it. The day is coming. The day is coming when Satan is going to be cast into the lake of fire and he will be silenced for all eternity. What a day that will be. I was talking with somebody earlier in the week and I made a statement like this. At the top of my list of the things that I want to experience is seeing Jesus face to face to hear Him say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's at the top of the list. But can I tell you what number two is? It's the day that Satan will be cast into that lake of fire and will be silenced for all eternity. What a day that will be. What a day that will be. Let's never forget. Christ wins. Christ wins. And after you suffered a little. Remember, it's suffering's coming. Suffering is coming for the true believer, for the true follower of Jesus Christ. It's coming. It is coming. But after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore you, will Himself confirm you. Will himself strengthen you and will himself establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever. And the church said amen. The church said amen. Let's try that one more time. The church said Amen. This should excite us this morning. It should excite us this morning to know that, that Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then Peter mentions Sylvanus and this is another name for Silas. Silas is who we are talking about here. And he mentions in the pages of Scripture, right as a part of this letter, that Silas Silvanus was a faithful brother as I regard him. And it just caused me to stop and think, you know, the day is coming no matter if Jesus comes back today or if he calls us home today or if it's next week or years after that. Let's face it, the day is coming when one day the funerals is going to be for us unless Jesus comes back first. And at that point, there's going to be people that's going to examine our lives. It might be immediately after your death, or it might be years after your death. And here's the question. Would somebody write down that we were faithful? Will somebody write down that we were faithful? I sure hope so. I sure hope that that is how... I'm remembered. I sure hope that's how this church, this congregation is remembered. But Peter is saying, by Sylvain as a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Have you experienced that amazing grace this morning? Throughout this sermon series, we've been talking about As the result of the amazing grace that we've received in Jesus Christ, then certain things happen. Have you experienced that amazing grace this morning? If you have, stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. On the good days, on the bad days, and on every day in between, stand firm on the amazing grace of God. And then Peter closes out. This letter by saying she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings and so does Mark, my son. Now she who is at Babylon is likely referring to the church in Rome where Peter is writing this letter. He's saying that church sends you greetings and so does Mark, my son. And then he talks about the importance of hospitality in the final words of this letter greet one another with the kiss of love I'm going to tell you he is referring to hospitality here you know in our day and time it's probably not going to be a good idea to greet each other with a kiss right it's probably not unless it's your spouse or your children that's about the only people that I would say greet with a kiss but let's be hospitable when the world is looking in do they see that we love each other Do they see that we love each other? And he says, peace to all of you. Not to some of you. Peace to all of you. And it doesn't just, the period is not right there. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. As we close today, I want to tell you, if you're not in Christ, there will be no peace in your life. You might think it is temporarily, but it's going to end. If you are not in Christ, any peace that you are experiencing, it's temporary. It's not going to last very long. But if you are in Christ, you have experienced His peace that passes all understanding, and it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, just like God's Word tells us it does. So this morning, as we move toward the invitation the invitation is this, are, are we walking in humility? Are we walking in humility each and every day? Do we know Jesus? Which gate have we entered? It's either the, the wide gate or the narrow gate. Which gate have we entered? I want you to know this morning, if you're here this morning and you're not sure Which of those gates that you have entered? I would love to talk to you and introduce you to this man named Jesus Christ. He loved you so much that he gave his life on the cross for you. Now, we've got to do some things in order order for him to be our Lord and Savior. We've got to be willing to admit that he is God's Son. We've got, we've got to also admit that there are things in our life called sin that does not please God or honor God. We've got to be willing to admit that, that that is wrong, that it does not glorify God. Now, you don't have to admit it to me, but you do have to admit it to Christ. He knows it anyway. We've got to believe that Jesus is God's Son, that everything the Bible says about Him is absolutely true. We've got to believe that He loved us so much that He died on that cross for us. He suffered a horrible death of crucifixion. His body physically died. He was removed from the cross, placed in a borrowed tomb, but He didn't stay in that tomb. Praise God, after three days, that tomb was empty. It was empty. That should excite us today. And then the C stands for confessing that Jesus is God's Son. It it involves repenting and turning from a life of sin. Now, will it be perfect? Will we walk the perfect life after that? Unfortunately not. I wish I could tell you yes, but that is not the case We live in a world that is infested with sin. But let me tell you this. If you are truly in Christ, you will not make the choice to continually participate willingly in sin unless you're completely miserable. God's That conviction will fall. Once we sin after knowing Christ, it's not fun. It's not something that we want to stay in. So this morning, I pray, if you have got a need this morning, I pray that you will come. As I said last Sunday, let's wear the carpet on this altar out because we have knelt there and prayed so much. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for your your presence that is here. Father, I pray that right now that you will just move mightily throughout this place. Father, I pray that you would just give us a glimpse of what it would be like if we were standing face to face before you right now. Father, I pray, I pray that we will know exactly what that is going to feel like, whether or not you are going to say, You came through the narrow gate. Or depart from me, I never knew you. Father, show us how horrible that would be this morning. Father, I pray that if there are people here this morning that don't know you as their Lord and Savior, may this be the day. May this be the day that they make the most important decision of their entire life, the one to confess their sins. And to follow you as their Lord and Savior. Father, if there are others here this morning that are carrying burdens, Lord, I pray that this will be the day that burdens are laid at your feet. May we do that in a way that that we indicate that we know you're sufficient. May we do it in such a way that we will know, that, that we would be demonstrating that there is nothing too big for my God. Father, forgive us in the times that we don't act like you're sufficient. Father, may our eyes be fixed upon you as a congregation. May the world, may the world see your reflection when they look at us. And it's in your name I pray, amen. Would you stand with us this morning as we sing our hymn of invitation. And again, I want to encourage you, I want to invite you, if you have a need this morning, please come forward and pray. Christ is waiting here for you. Let's sing.